stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy and welcome to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. And this week we are talking all things oceans. And my guest today is probably going to give you about 300 puns all the way through the conversation, but she is absolutely brilliant. So she is a an Aussie marine scientist. She's an artist, a children's author and illustrator and a graphic recorder. So she specializes in creative and visual communication. So in organizations, drawing a vision up on the board and, you know, capturing capturing it in images. And um, she's, the, she's written three books about the ocean. She is absolutely fantastic. She's got such great energy and she's on a mission to just make a better world and to help kids to understand what's going on with our oceans and with our planet and do it in a nice, fun and vibrant way. Way. She is an absolute dream. So, so let's get on with it. Let's have a chat and let's da 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 dive in. Welcome, Sue. Thanks for having me, Karen. Oh, I am so bloody thrilled to have you, Sue. Like you and I have had uh, numerous conversations, and I just freaking love what you're doing. It, I love it. Love it so much. I love that you love it that much. <laughs> oh, I do. We go to the gee, this episode could be interesting. Got two bloody mad passion heads here on, on the right. line. So get ready. Yeah, it could go any, Put any direction. On. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll probably just talk over top of each other the whole time, but we'll try not to, won't we, Sue? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you are like, like when I first met you, you know. I saw a picture. This is what I love about LinkedIn, right? I just bloody love it, you know, because a friend of mine commented on your picture of you with your book on the beach and I saw this smile on your face and I I fell in love. You know, it was just like, oh, my God, who is this woman who is so goddamn in love with what she does, you you know, and I had to connect. I said, so I want you on my podcast and and we've just connected so well since, but the passion that you have got for creating a better world, just, you know, I just want to cuddle you. So look out when we finally get in person, you're going to get a biggest cuddle. Oh, I would love that. (laughs) Big big hug back to you. (laughs) Oh, no, you're just marvellous. So you are a... A marine, you're a marine scientist, and that might not be the exact terminology, but it's close. That'll do for people. You're an artist. You're a, an author, among a ton of other things. Like you're just, you're just bloody going for it. But it's all about protecting the ocean. You know that that's that's your big focus. And what were you like as a kid? Like, did you, you know, how, how did you come to be doing all these amazing things? Well, that's a good question. Uh, okay, as a kid, so as a kid, we were outside a lot. So grew up in regional Queensland, moved around a lot with my parents and sisters. 
And we were always on bikes. We were always at the beach. We're always climbing trees. Um, my father was very um, encouraging of us to get outside and be with nature. Um, and a fond mem memory of mine, I think, which may have started my spark of nature, apart from being amongst it all the time, was that at night times, I remember my dad reading us the Animal Planet book, you know, yeah. and, and watching David Attenborough documentaries and Harry Butler documentaries and, and talking about the different animals and learning about their, their features and what they do and, you know, how they, they work in the world and, and why they're important to protect as well. So it wasn't, it wasn't something that was you have to make sure you protect animals or anything like that. It was just learning about the animals, learning about the habitats. And so I remember growing up being very fond of nature. And then my dad, when we got a little bit older, would take us snorkeling. Um, and then I got to visit the Great Barrier Reef and I fell in love with the Great Barrier Reef, like in, just immediately. And how you couldn't, I don't know. But um, so that's that's my upbringing is just being around nature, being outdoors. And as I've got older, though, then I've put um, all of my experiences, my professional, my career, uh, all that experience together to basically draw attention to nature and the ocean. So it's sort of it's a wonderful journey from being very small and being amongst it outside to now drawing attention and illustrating really important ocean issues. Mm. So that's where it sort of started, I think. Yeah, and you're lucky that you actually got to enjoy the Great Barrier Reef too because it's starting to become quite trashed and, you know, what people are going to see now when they're there is not going to be the same as what you saw, you know, and there is the, the hope that it can grow back again, you know, and can rejuvenate. Yeah, yeah. We've got yep. to, we're going to stop trashing the trash in the joint did you Absolutely. were you an artist like were you were you doing art, a lot of art were you artistic as a kid so as yeah as a kid I remember and I've still got the drawings um of when I was, I was always doodling and sketching and drawing whales and making animal calendars and I did find an actual storybook about a lady beetle and you've got to put your your rubbish in the bin and it's just so I've always been artistic as a child and as I got older though my parents um wanted us to make sure that you know maybe you could um go to university you know you can get a really good job if you go to university so they really encouraged um, me to do science and maths and chemistry and those sorts of things so I didn't actually do art throughout my sort of high school years mm. and I only found art again when I actually went into university and did a PhD and I needed a bit of a stress relief let's just say <laughs> and I found these watercolor classes when I we moved to Brisbane by then I was at university and I went to these watercolor classes with ladies that would meet once a week for half a day, we'd have morning tea and lunch and I'd learn the art of watercolouring. And I fell in love with that. I mean, it's a very difficult medium, but because it looks like the ocean when you use these watercolours, I fell in love immediately. And it was actually my art teacher's idea whilst I was there to write a children's book about the ocean because basically I'm surrounded by these lovely ladies that travel overseas and go to Tuscany and Paris and they're painting these beautiful scenes. And here I am saying, and so about the mud crabs, you've got to learn about the mud crabs. I love them. Do you know they do this, this, this? Oh, and here's a yellowfin tuna. And, you know, and what about seahorses? Now, they're amazing. And my, I think I was, <laughs> I was a little bit different in the group, you see. And, and so my, my, my art teacher was wonderful and she encouraged me to keep painting this, this passion of mine instead of saying you need to do tulips and, and Tuscany scenes, she said, no, no, keep doing the seahorses, keep doing your mud crab, you obviously love it. And then one day after a couple of years, she said, have you ever thought of writing and illustrating children's books about all of these amazing stories you're telling us about the ocean? And I went, no, but yes, let's do that. And so that started probably 15 years ago. I started the idea and started writing things down, not knowing anything about 
illustrating or writing children's picture books, but it was in my mind. And so over the next few years, even through my professional career, then into government, I had these ideas of wanting to do these books, but it didn't become a reality for, for many, many, many years. So it took maybe 10 years to actually get the book, the very first book um, published. So that's the sort of artistic, so I'm, I'm self-taught. Um, I, I Even when I do my drawings for people now for clients, it's all, I think it's my experience through life that's mm. got me to this place um, yeah. artistically. And it's amazing that, you know, we, we often think, oh, when I was a kid, that's got nothing to do with now. And, you know, when I worked for the government, that's got nothing to do with now. But in actual fact, if you look back through your life, there are all these stepping stones, aren't there, that, that, that join it together. And you might, like you said, you put, you put art aside, but then you, you picked it back up again. And I think that sometimes we dismiss the things that are going on in our lives and we dismiss all the great stuff that we're sitting amongst, you know, and that's, that's not important and that's not relevant to this. But... It all it all makes us up, and and but I tell us about your um. Well, I, I'm into. I want to talk about the books, but I I also want to talk about you. you give us a. I, I love to do these puns because you do these puns, and I'm not going to be anywhere near as good as you. <laughs> give us a deep dive into <laughs> into your marine your marine life, like as a scientist, because I want to come yeah. back to the books. What do you do? What's that look like? Because when we think of marine scientists, like if we're not doing that job, where we kind of like, oh, you go out on boats and you you, yeah. you look at fish, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. But tell us what you really do because it's interesting. I sure would like to do that, actually, Karen. <laughs> I really surely would. Let's see what we can uh, oh, find as we dive into this, <laughs> uh, into the, the world of a marine scientist. So, look, yeah, there's so many different marine scientists and we don't all work with dolphins. I'm, I mean, I'd be great if we could, but we don't all do the cute and cuddly sort of science. Some of us have, you know, we, we all have different pathways. My pathway was into marine ecology, which is the study of marine animals and how they interact with the environment. Yeah. And my focus and specialty in my PhD was looking at the effectiveness of no-take marine reserves. And um, <clears throat> to make that into very simple language is do green zones, which you can't fish in, you can't take things out of. Do green zones work in a marine park setting? Simple answer, yes. So after five years of trudging through mud, catching lots of mud crabs uh, and lots of fish, um, I found that, yes, if you do leave areas of significance alone, um, you protect them, then in, over time they actually um, have higher biodiversity uh, and there's actually more fishery species in there that move out over time and you can catch them. They're bigger, they make more babies. It's a great thing for a marine park setting. So my specialty has been sort of the coastal inshore um, marine environment and then I've used that science to then apply it into um, conservation marine park planning and management yeah. and that's when I went that was my stepping stone for my PhD I then went into the Environmental Protection Agency and Queensland Parks and Wildlife Service in Queensland and actually used the science from my PhD in a marine park zoning plan review which I just happened to be lucky enough to be part of at that time so um, yeah marine scientists are all very different um, we're all pretty passionate about what we do and uh, I've don't do the cute and cuddly. I do the very special, unique animals in the mud. Uh, and uh, that's why I love to, to paint mud crabs and sand crabs and all sorts of fishery species. So that oh. was my journey. And it was, it was a, a fantastic experience. Challenging, of course, but to um, have gone through that experience. And I still use being a scientist. Even I'm not practicing science all the time at the moment. I'm communicating with science. And so I have that um, 
interpretation synthesis skills from you know my scientific career which I apply to all of my drawings and my science communication now so it's a really great stepping stone from having a PhD in doing marine science moving into government and then moving into my own communication business yeah so yeah which we're going to talk about too in a minute but well in a minute you know it's going to take over the whole course of this because there's so much to get through but you um I love how you said about if we leave it alone does it does it you know re re rejuvenate you know it's in Hawaii you know and I I remember seeing this for the first time and I had I've got signs up like in the and I I might get this back to front but on the even year you can fish and on the odd year you can't fish and Mm -hmm. and they had already implemented that long ago you know because it was rejuvenating it and I'm I'm against fishing like I don't want people bloody pulling fish out of the ocean with hooks you know leave the bloody things alone and 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 in fact in in fact I mean I'm just going to be blunt we're, we're absolute utter dickheads to be playing with the ocean and pulling things out because as soon as we kill it, which, you know, is is at the moment touted to be 2048, we're, we're fucked. And that is, that's the end of, like, I can't even put that in more simple terms. We we kill the ocean, we we kill the planet. And, and, and people just go, yeah, but, yeah, but that's a while mm. away. And at the moment I'm just enjoying me buddy fish. Fair enough, but it's not not fair enough, and you know we we we've got to become more responsible. The other thing too that it, we're talking about that is that when you bat, I was I was animal rights, big animal rights for a long time, and I still am, but but I was yep. vocal and aggressively yep. vocal, yep. A- and you can tell that I've got that personality. But and and I was pissing Feisty. people. <laughs> I was pissing people off. Nobody yeah. wanted to hear what I had to say yeah. because I was just doing what I did then, growling at people and making them feel bad because, you know, you you an utter dickhead. Like, why can't you see this? And so while I still say these things at times when I get annoyed, um, what I learned was that we need other mediums. We need softer mediums, you know, to get through to people. So mm. I started just um, not eating meat in front of people, you know, and then they would ask questions. Oh, don't you eat meat? Why? You know, and have the conversation. It was better. Yeah. So for you, you know, you're doing that, that, that in, in the form of books and kids books. I love that because far out adults don't listen, but kids, <laughs> kids you can mould. So start young. Yeah. Yeah, did you have that experience? Is that like I know that your your um, teacher in the art class said you should write books, but mm. did you have the experience that you're trying to talk to adults and they're just not listening? But when you talk to kids, they're like, "Oh, what can I do about this?" Yeah, def- I've definitely had that experience. When you do a marine park uh, zoning plan review, um, it's a very controversial, challenging time for those that are on the protection side or the management side um, of a marine park. And so, yes, it was quite tense at times to talk to fishermen um, and to people that didn't um, want to accept the science that if you leave something alone over a certain period of time, you'll actually get benefits from it later on. You're fishing for tomorrow, not for just today. So I've come up against a lot of that in my career. Uh, And I understand both sides now. I've worked in industry. I've worked for um, conservation. So I know there's a balancing act, but at the moment that balancing act is skewed very much towards um, impacting nature uh, and taking uh, things out of nature so that we need to bring that balance back and so when I started doing the children's books and then becoming my alter ego Dr Susie Starfish who loves (laughs) to dress up as the ocean and go into classrooms um, biggest joy of my life I must say Uh, so I found 
very quickly when I was talking about science and drawing science and then using picture books and art to explain why science is important um, to, our, to learning about our oceans and then protecting it, the children were so excited. And I know that children get excited. It doesn't, you know, that, that's how they are, which is wonderful. But once we actually did some art activities or we had a question and answer after the science talks, um, using books, um, using craft, art, etc the children were very engaged and they remembered a lot of the information they could recite back the science to me they would then go tell their parents about that science yeah and when I say science I'm not saying uh, chemical formulas or scientific names of animals I'm saying things like if you do leave an area alone uh, and you don't fish it for let's say six months then later on it's it's going to be even better uh, for people um, to enjoy and to utilize that resource uh, same with things like climate change. So my first book is about climate change and coral bleaching. It's talking, it's having that open discussion uh, with children using words and pictures. So it's not overwhelming because climate change is overwhelming. It's a huge issue. Yeah. Uh, and it's some people just say, well, it's all too hard. If you if you take a step back and you use positive storytelling, provide hope in your messages, but I, and all of my books are have hopeful messages and solutions, but they're all based on science. And I don't push that. I don't go, oh, it's all about science. I actually say these are based on science with messages of hope and solutions that you can be the change you want to see, in inverted <laughs> commas, in the world. And so children, I think, get excited, they're engaged, and then they feel empowered, I hope, as well as excited for the future. And maybe then they will remember a bit about, okay, so Dr. Susie Starfish said to help with climate change, we should turn off our lights when we're not using them. We could maybe walk somewhere instead of, you know, driving in our car um, and we can put our rubbish away and don't throw it in the ocean. Just very simple acts that you could do each day um, that are positive in a positive light. I'm not saying don't do this. I'm just saying where you can, you can start to make a difference in the actions that you take on a daily basis. So, yes, I've had the the adult conversations and they were wonderful uh, and a little challenging, but then the, the joy comes out of being able to have interactions one-on-one with children who yeah. I hope then take those messages, remember these experiences, and then as they get older, maybe they'll make different choices to the generation before. That's yeah. my hope. Yeah, and I agree. And we, I just hope we've got enough time. Do you, you know, if they start making the changes and that's in, it's already in their minds and as they move into adulthood you know they're they're already saying well don't just pick up your rubbish you know don't don't leave it on the beach that's and 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 that can happen because do you remember those ads um keep australia beautiful do you you remember you used to chuck out bloody cans and rubbish out the windows and that was just normal like you know Mm -hmm. when i look back at that i mean i did that as a kid because that's what we did and when i look back now i think what the hell are we thinking that, 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 that was okay. But then once, once that campaign came out, Keep Australia Beautiful, Don't Litter Australia, Don't, you know, all that sort of stuff, while there were some people going, oh, this is shit, really, you, you can drive around most of Australia now and not not see litter. Do you, you know, it, it's it, it's really had an impact. So, But mm. it takes a bit of time to, to get does. that moving. Absolutely. Oh, That's I, why I think it's so important for positive storytelling in schools to start so early. Yeah, I agree. Um, it will be a generational change, I think. Yeah, and and bigger. Like I've got an issue with schools. Like I, you know, 
it's not the teachers. I think teachers are bloody busting their guts. Do you, you know, but the system is so bloody outdated. You know, you know, and we're teaching kids to compete, and we're just teaching the three R's yeah. and other other shit that they'll never use. But it's it's like we've got to be teaching about climate change. We've got to be teaching about um, caring for each other. We've got to be teaching kindness. We've got to be teaching. Yeah, you know, like life skills. How do I manage? Yeah. How do be I be resourceful? How do I negotiate? Uh, you know, a situation, and how do I? You, because you, you, you can't just any, anyway. Let's drop that now. How much are humans? <laughs> You're talking about climate change. Oh, actually, first tell me about your three books. What are they called? <laughs> what are right they? <laughs> three books. Here we go. First book. So the first book uh, is called The Great Barrier Thief. Um, and it's all about uh, the impacts of climate change and coral bleaching on the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, That's the first book. Uh, the second book, which has just been released, is called Cranky Frankie and the Oceans of Trash, which yeah. is pretty evident that that's about uh, illustrating the impacts of marine debris and plastic pollution on our oceans and sea creatures. And the third book, which I'm illustrating or starting to illustrate right now, is called Roger the Rass and the Itchy Fishes, which is all about cleaning stations on the Great Barrier Reef and the importance of symbiosis so a very small um, little animal on the reef cleans really really big fish um, and it gets a meal out of it and the the fish actually don't get itches let's say anymore and so it's it's really about how small things can do and achieve great things um, yeah. and diversity on the reef so they're the three books all sort of ocean um, storytelling based on as I said science with messages of hope and solutions so um, I'm loving my little series I love it and a little bit of fun in them as well you know like yes. you, you yeah know, and they all rhyme and yeah, yeah yeah cranky Frankie and the itchy fishes and you know that sort of stuff <laughs> I love I love that and you know when you're talking about um I'm so glad you're doing it you know I'm so glad that that you and others you know are doing these little pockets of things and it's when I say mm. little pockets of things it's not little because if you, if you can get out even a, a thousand books and those those thousand kids that read them impact another 10 people there's 10,000 you know and, and that sort of stuff and when you read a story book a picture book you know you do take it in as it's something you remember I remember a lot yes. of those books when I was a kid yeah are you talking about um, climate change and that's, you know, and the, and the disaster that it's causing to mm. the reef and all that sort of stuff? And when you're talking about um, plastic pollution and just pull, uh, uh, human rubbish, you know, going into the waters. And, and one thing that I think about is uh, the bloody face masks and, you know, and, and we're, people are not chopping the just like the simplest thing is just. Mm. You, you chop the strings, do you know, so that so that it can't get stuck around a turtle's right. neck or something like that. Yep. And yeah, we're going to dump our masks. You know, we've got to get rid of them and all that sort of stuff. And and they should be going in the rubbish. They should be going in the landfill. But there's yep. so many of them that are floating out. In, oh yes. in the ocean. I still pick them up with, on the beach now with the things not cut. So if you're listening to this. Start cutting the, I mean, we're not mm. really wearing them anymore. And I, I kind of wish I had have done a video on this, buddy, two years ago. But, you know, cut the bloody things and tell other people, cut the bloody things. And, like, that's just one small thing that we can do. That's right. One small step. And and you were talking. We we had this uh, we had this interview planned for two weeks ago, and you know Sue was caught, lives in Queensland, so she's been caught up in the Queensland floods. Now I don't want to be just a, a bloody climate change ogre and you know just bashing everyone, but 
the, the truth is the government knew this was coming and, and nobody did shit about it, you know, and now all these houses are underwater. And it's not just the houses. I mean, yes, I, I care about humanity. I care about the fact that people are suffering and anyone who knows me knows that. But mm. further to that is that all this, all this shit, and I'm talking shit because it's sewage as well, like all of the shit and everything in our houses and all our chemicals and toxins and all that crap that we store safely in our houses is all now washing out into the ocean and mm. it's it's a disaster. And, you know, I'm not saying us as average human beings could have done much other than all those little things that we can do, you know, but we've got to as a collective um, be a lot stronger with the government and, we, and with that kind of anybody who can make a difference, you know, saying mm. we don't freaking want this, you, you know, like, well, you've got to step up your shit because all these people are suffering and you can say, well, they're suffering, Karen, you should be focused on them. Well, I am, but, you know, it's too bad that it's going out in the ocean. I mean, that's not really as bad as the human suffering, but it is because if our oceans are polluted, it's polluting us, do, you know. That's and, right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. It's, and and so you were saying, you know, you live up uh, near opposite Fraser Island, and 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 debris and boats and jet skis and pontoons. And I just said to Sue, "Should pick yourself up a jet ski." But yeah, <laughs> like all this trash is, yep. is just filling our coastline. And and I know that it's from a natural disaster, but if you ever go to Bali, I'm sure you have, Sue, the mm. beaches are just, uh, uh, they're just like metres deep, you know, of yep. trash. And, yeah, well, what, you know, yeah. Other than, well, um, yeah. what can we do? Like what? what yeah, well, we I mean, do? the big issue is also is that with um, increasing or human-induced climate change is increasing. So we, we've we done that. That just hasn't happened. And plastic doesn't just occur in the ocean. We we do that. Yeah. Um, so these are human-induced impacts to the oceans. So we're actually destroying something that actually helps us live and breathe and yeah. regulate climate. And so the issue really is also is this the new normal now? Because climate change, as we know, is increasing uh, sea surface temperatures we're having the uh, you know the polar caps melting yep. we've got more severe weather cyclones floods it's that's what is going to be impacting us as humans so actually we're actually doing it to ourselves and so we really do need to make the steps now we need to take steps 30 years ago but <laughs> we need to really take you know, it's significant. We have to start doing things now. We have to decrease our global, um, the, the gas emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not about we should. We, we should have done it. You can't just not do anything now. Yeah. I mean, the science is very evident. It's very clear. And if we don't do things right now, then we are going to be in the new normal of seeing all this severe weather, uh, lack of crops, lack of food. I mean, these are just going to be compounding impacts on us into the future so it really is you're you're saying you know people think oh karen you should think about the people well you actually are uh, the ocean you know 70 percent of the world is ocean and it's there for a reason and it regulates the climate for us and it, it helps with food uh and breathing uh and and the joy that we get from the ocean too that shouldn't be um discounted so really we have to take the steps and the steps are um, electricity and, and transport and being sustainable and doing the right thing and throwing your rubbish out. Mm. Um, you know, just I don't have all the answers. That's not what I'm not an expert, but these are the sorts of small steps that I'm trying to actually 
include in my stories for children just so that they don't get overwhelmed by these massive global issues that locally they can do their their own things um, on a daily basis. So I agree with you, but we are, we are actually hurting ourselves yeah. in this um, catastrophe of climate change. And there's a lot of people who say that we're not we're not having global warming, you know, like we're not having an increase in temperature. I yeah. just saw a great um, graphic from NASA. You know, they... they I saw that, yeah. Documented what a great illustration, yeah. It was fantastic. And it was like this little movie graphic of, of um, all the, every month of the year for about the last 150 years or something like that or 170 years and how the temperatures were increasing. And you could literally see, you know, the, the, the years. It was like 1950s and then 1980s mm-hmm. where it just went out of control and we we have we're we're already teetering on the plus one degree and and you were talking about um well when I say teetering we're already going over it and coming back over it and like we're we're sitting there now and you know you can say oh I don't feel any different one degree that doesn't make any difference at all but you were talking about the oceans warming you know and what happens what happens when the oceans warm one degree well when the oceans warm I mean that you're going to see catastrophic impacts which we already are for example the great barrier reef has bleached three times in a, in a matter of not that many years and that's hasn't happened till you know in recent times and if that continues to happen it can't keep regenerating itself it just won't be able to keep up and so you know ocean acidification um, you've got those the rising sea levels where it's actually going to take out people's homes in island nations which already probably it has across happening. the world mm. it is happening right now so we're actually seeing it and as i said the caps the polar caps melting these are going to have catastrophic effects for people mm. um, and because we're so close to the great barrier reef that's sort of in my heart right now is that to watch the bleaching events continue um, and right now we are about to see potentially another bleaching event because of the uh, increase in sea surface temperatures. So that's why The Great Barrier Thief was my first book. I wanted it to really make a mark. There wasn't another story like it um, and I didn't want to scare children um, to say, look, the reefs could, could be dying and parts of it have died. Um, I'll be upfront. People don't like to say that, um, but parts of it have. And it will never recover. But in my book, I wanted to provide the hopeful solutions that we can, you know, do something about the greenhouse gas emissions. Um, the colours on the reef can come back. That's how I sort of tried to illustrate coral bleaching for children. Um, and, yeah, you can do things each day to help and tell your parents because your parents vote. <laughs> I don't say that, but, you know, the, you know, pe- kids don't buy picture books. You know, adults do, grandparents do, teachers do, friends and family. And if you can have that conversation even with little children um, saying, hey, mum and dad, did you know um, this could happen in the future and we need to do something about it today? That's my hope. Yeah. And I know it's just one avenue, but it I had, can be a conversation starter. Um, and picture books for me are for any age group. Like, I just love them. So, and I have taken them into high schools before to science students, and that's how we've had the open conversation about climate change because sometimes it's not easy to bring up that topic. Um, controversial, um, it's a little bit complicated sometimes. And so I've actually, you know, this book's been from kindy right through up until I think grade 10, 11 science, and the reaction to the story has been the same every time. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's very excitable and the colour and what's happening here and, you know, um, so I'm very grateful that I've been able to have that experience with children of all ages I just hope that yeah the next generation will take that forward and um yeah make the steps make the change yeah me too and when you said you know you're only making a little you're only doing a little bit um it, it's if every person like if, if if 
tons more people do a little mm. bit you know those little bits add up like right. I remember seeing when I was in Hawaii once and I got this little card and it said I'm only one but still I'm one do you know yeah, and, and true. I, 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 I like can't that. remember the rest of it but that was all I needed I'm only one but yeah. still I'm one and the, the, it, it was along the lines of you know if if I do my thing you know, then that's going to impact. And and if we, it's better than doing nothing. You know, for every cent we are right. in the bank, it's going to build, you yep. know. so Yeah, better than doing nothing. Absolutely. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. Yep. So, and you are the illustrator of your books and that, you know, like you said that before, you know, but it's a lot of people will write a story and then they'll get an illustrator. But you, you're doing the whole body lot and that your illustrations are so fantastic they're so colorful they're so vibrant they're so they you you feel like you're sitting there in the ocean with this little crab or you know well big (laughs) big crab but it it feels fantastic and so your illustrations are not they're not just the 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 watercolor pictures in a book you know they're really vibrant intense beautiful colors now when you also illustrate for organizations you, you know you you do you're a visual What's it called? A visual artist? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I'm a visual. I'm a visual artist. Also, um, also known as a graphic recorder. If I'm drawing live in front of people in real time. So yeah, there's a number of different um, roles that I play, I suppose. And at first, before, thank you so much for that wonderful feedback on my illustrations in my books. Uh, they are. I do make them deliberately colourful um, to make a point of just when you dive into the Great Barrier, for example, it is just this colour, this noise, this movement, and that's what I wanted to portray in these books is actually that the that the ocean's alive. You might not be able to see it from the top, and I think that's the problem, that people don't actually see what happens underneath the water. So I wanted people to be able to dive in, as we say, and um, make a big splash and um, <laughs> really enjoy and fall in love with what's under there because the other point with my books is that I think that if you fall in love with something, you are more likely to want to look after and protect it, right? Like if you don't understand it or you go, oh, I've never been there or why would I care? But if you dive into this story in these books and you sort of get an understanding of yeah. what's down there, why it's there, why it's important to look after you, and I'm hoping that people just fall in love with it. Um, so, yeah, so they take that love with them. So yeah. it's really just a love story about the oceans, <laughs> you know, a bit it. of climate change, a little bit of marine debris. And a bit of symbiosis in there. It's so. a bloody awful story, really. Like it's a catastrophe, really. But it's about how do we in color? How do we make it better? You know, yeah, how, how do we make it better? You're right. Yeah. So yeah. So thank you for that. My um, pleasure. So I'll go back. I'll go to the yeah. My other life, uh, the other part of my life is as yes, yeah, so I'm a visual communicator. I run a a small business communicating people's stories through words and pictures. And so I started this um, seven years ago this week, actually. So wow. happy business birthday to me. Yay. Happy anniversary um, <laughs> <your> birthday. <laughs> thank you. And so I provide yeah, a number of different visual communication um, approaches. One of them is graphic recording, which is visually capturing information and discussions in real time in front of people. Uh, and then you provide that throughout an event or a discussion or a strategic meeting and by the end of um, that day or that meeting people can see what's being said in the room and it's sort of a snapshot of a big picture of of where you're trying to go or, or what's happening with that issue so that's one of the the roles that I play the other is as a visual artist that interprets information particularly complex information and strategic sort of stories through infographics so I'm hand-drawn I should mention that I don't use digital technology at all it's all hand-drawn 
artwork. And so I interpret that information. I talk to my clients, could be over weeks or months, and then we create these infographics together. Mm -hmm. And then my other sort of role, I suppose, is as a science communicator, mostly making a commotion, commotion, I'm just going to put that out there, uh, about the ocean through um, imagery, stories, and then, you know, as Dr. Susie Starfish, um, going into schools as well and trying to use science and art to encourage children about the oceans, but also creative thinking, uh, where art can actually allow children to think in a different way, they don't make mistakes, um, and they can think about things in a different way and lead to even innovation or different ideas, et cetera. So they're the sorts of things I do. And then when I can, I will paint just for the, you know, just paint. But I don't get to do that as often anymore. But it's, um, yeah, so they're the streams of my business to help communicate information through visual storytelling. And when you talk about, um, yeah, I know we, none of us get to do our bloody passion often enough and we need to because I know for a fact that actually makes us perform better. But yep. you're talking about, you know, um, with, the, with the visual art and the kids doing doing that and then they can't make mistakes and stuff like that. I, I always use always use pictures and, uh, you know, get people to, doing, do, to do work in my workshops with coloured textures and coloured pencils because yeah. you, you, it's exactly right that we're so stuck in our left brain and our left brain just analyses everything and, you know, mm-hmm. oh, this doesn't make sense. Blah, blah, blah. But our right, our right brain just goes, oh, that's possible. Uh-huh. Oh, my uh-huh. God, I never thought of that. And then we, we've got this courage that comes with our right brain that I oh, just drop that out onto the that's paper it. and 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 so much gets dropped you know out onto the paper when you are you are accessing your right brain and when you're talking about doing these visual yep visual communication for organizations and that sort of stuff so they're having a strategic meeting and you're you're capturing it in mm-hmm. images they are going to remember that a, a yeah. thousand times quicker because we, we do recall and I can't remember it's not a thousand but it's 66 or something times quicker we interpret a picture than we do picture than we yeah. do words yeah and if if you if you were to get there and you were to write, write up some 20 page report and hand it back to them no one would bloody read it no, except the person wouldn't. who's most interested no. but when you put a big picture up on the wall and it's all like we've captured the there's a sense of pride. There's a sense of I understand this. I get this. Yes. And you're invested in it to see it through. Correct. So the work yeah. you do is it's critical. And and more people should. I'm going to give you a plug. More people should hire you <laughs> to do this. You probably haven't got time, but I don't care. They should yeah. because you sit in all these meetings for so bloody long talking shit, you, you know, and nothing yeah. gets done. But when you get something like what you're doing up on the wall and it's just kind of like, wow, now I know where we are. Let's go. Bam. And and it, it's such a, such a great investment for organisations. It really is. It's fantastic. Thank you, Karen. Oh, that's lovely. No, it's but look, it is the power of pictures. It's particularly when I'm in a room. Uh, the other um, wonderful thing about visual storytelling is it reinforces the information as well. Like throughout the day, at the end of the day, post an event, post a meeting, yep. you're not getting, like you said, a 20-page report um, or some dot points. You're actually getting the picture that you were part of. So people yep. are part of the picture. That's the other point. I'm in the room as an independent person who's interpreting the information, listening to all of the different thoughts and feelings in the room I really pick up on people that are talking um, high-pitched or low or those that aren't talking just yet and so you can actually see the energy in the room change once people understand why I'm there Mm. that I'm listening to you for you and then when they see this picture they really get it and it's like that moment for me is when I can just see the people oh and they're taking photos like oh 
I understand. So to me that, I mean, it's the most amazing feeling to watch that. And yeah. it's an amazing job of one I didn't even know existed till seven years ago. So, and I think now we're being bombarded with so much doom and gloom and data and information and, you know, the doom scrolling that we're doing on our devices. And so when you see pictures, it sort of grabs your attention. You're like, oh, what's this? That's, oh, I get that. And so there is a real, people really take to visual storytelling and I think it's a really good time in the world for it yeah um, it relieves us from all this data and noise I call it noise there's so much noise um, and yeah they can see themselves in the picture and I think that's really important these days to, to be able to connect with people because everyone has a story yeah right this just there are so many stories out there and I'm privileged in many ways to be in the room invited into a room or being um, at a board meeting or with strategic partners to listen to these stories and then draw back to them yeah. uh, what's actually happening in the room and sometimes it can be a little confronting because they're like oh is that what we're saying and I'm saying well that's what I've heard you know so it's a real reinforcement reflection and when you see it you get it so it's yeah, yeah. fantastic I love it and I love that I love too that it's an independent interpretation you know it's because you know if you can have someone taking notes in a in a in a strategic meeting and they've got an alliance with the loudest person in the room it's skewed you know and, yeah. and there's bits missing and all that well you're talking about hearing people's inflections and and, and their it. energy and that that you're you're putting all those little subtle nuances into it to to add color and to add perspective which wouldn't go it wouldn't be included no. in a, in a in a in a written sort of report you're absolutely right and and plus the person usually writing is someone who's like i said connected to someone in the room who's got is already allied with somebody so there's already a skewed perspective but for you to um do that i think that's bloody marvelous i, I think it's I, I do i sing your praises like buggery i just think you're wonderful wonderful yeah so i think it's i think when people say oh how do you do what you do it's i actually say to people it's actually more about my active listening skills i have to listen every minute of every hour that I'm there. I can't leave the room because something could happen. Yeah. So, And then I just happen to be able to, and I'm not I'm downplaying my skill set here, but then I do put it into words and pictures and interpret and synthesise that information quickly. And I think that's because of my scientific background as well as my yeah. government experience. And so I can hear things independently um, and I don't put myself in the picture at all. So it's I'm actually tuned out. Like it's just, it's quite an odd feeling when I'm in there because it's I'm totally there for the people in the room mm. and sometimes I forget that I'm even in front of it could be up to a thousand people sometimes and so it's just I'm just up there you know I have to remember not to sing or to talk out loud because um, <laughs> I get carried away it's the only time my mind is like just on that that moment with those people so yeah it's a fantastic um, experience really oh I absolutely absolutely love it and so are you I want to ask you my um, get off the bench question because I've, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Look, I've even got my, um, you know, save the rhinos oh, yes, and you have turtles to. and elephant T-shirt on. And I've got jellyfish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was nearly going to wear blue, but then I thought we're both going to wear blue. We'll end up clashing, but it's <laughs> I absolutely love it. So um, how it, there's going to be people, I know I've heard of so many people who say, oh, I want to write a picture book. You know, I'd love to write a kid's book. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I've got to say is not important. No one's going to read my book. But what advice would you give them? Yeah, that's, I mean, I thought the same thing too. Uh, don't get me wrong. But then I started um, following. I think it's very important to follow people that are in the space that you're interested in, maybe find a mentor or find a group. 
uh, to be involved in that will encourage you to get your story out. But if you don't put your story out and you don't write it on paper, it's still a story in your head. Yeah. So until you make that, that decision to put that story on paper uh, and have the courage to do it, then it's just going to be a story in your head. So the first thing is to get it down on paper and then the next steps are to find a way to get that story published or get it out there in some other way. And so I suppose the picture book industry is um, it's quite competitive in terms of being able to get your book published in yeah. the big publishing houses. It's not an easy journey. I would, I'll be very upfront about that. Um, my first book I partner published, so I actually funded half of it myself because I wanted that book to be out there and I wanted to keep the copyright of The Great Barrier Thief because I thought it was such uh, an important story for me to hold on to and to have ownership of. Yeah. And then I was lucky enough to actually get publishing deals with uh, Little Pink Dog Books in Australia for the, my next two books. So it's it's a journey, but if you believe in your story and you do get off the bench and you write it down, um, then I think that passion, if you believe in it that much, it's going to happen for you in some way. Yep. Uh, so. And I, I agree 100% and I say that in all my workshops, get it out of your head onto paper yep. and then yep. into action because you will never take action while it's in your head. You have to actually see it in front of you and, and it, it comes to life. As soon as it's in front of That's you, it. It, it comes to life. Yep. I, Sue, I have loved this conversation. You are just a bloody genius. You, you are a beautiful, beautiful human being. And, no, I, I'm serious and you know I'm serious. So your energy yeah, thank is you. just... Oh, God. Right back at you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I just, you know, it's not hard. It's not hard to be a great human being, you know, and it's not hard to care about what you're doing and it's not hard yeah. to care about others and it's not hard to look at the planet and go, I love this and I want to take yeah. care of it. And, yep. you know, when people are actively doing something and that doesn't have to be as big as you, it just needs to be, shit, I'm going to cut my tags on that on my mask yeah. you know oh yeah. shit I'm gonna make sure that there's no poisons in my bin or or I'm gonna make yeah. or, I'm gonna make sure blah blah, blah. little things like that make such yep big small steps can make a big difference yeah yep. I agree I, I just love you Sue I just think you oh, are now thank I, you and I know <laughs> my absolute pleasure and I know that listening to this people are going to be like going yes Karen I agree I love Dr Susie <laughs> Starfish too now so where can people find you <laughs> Ah, so the easiest way to find me is on my website and that's um, drsuepillins.com and then you can dive in with me as Dr Susie Starfish <laughs> on Facebook, of course. So, yes. <laughs> Love it. And LinkedIn, of course, because that's yes. where I found you. Sue, this has been fantastic. You are just a gem. I'm so pleased that you've come to share all this with my audience because, um, you know, sometimes we hit these hard topics and, and everyone knows me that is listening to this I'm such a bloody hard head with these topics and you know it's it's no point me just banging on about it. I have to get people on that um you know can say it in a much more gentle way than me because I'm such a hammerhead with it and yeah I just I, I absolutely love it and I just think that so many people are going to get so much out of what you said oh. so well, thank so, you for having me it's been just wonderful and a great opportunity and I think you're very passionate there's nothing wrong with passion I think we can, together we make a great commotion. So, yes, people can just dive in with us. <laughs> so in case you didn't get it, Sue's put puns all the way through <laughs> the interview. And, and uh, yeah, and I'm just dying for you and I to be in the same room running a workshop together. And I tell you what, boy, Jesus, no, no one will know what's hit them. But, but more importantly, I can't wait to meet you and give you a giant bloody hug same. just to amplify the energy between Absolutely. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, hopefully everyone will catch follow you and I'll catch up with you shortly. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. See ya. See ya.
Oh, guys, how was that? I absolutely love Sue's energy. She's so bloody passionate about, well, particularly about marine life, but that's it's the whole environment. It's the whole bloody planet. If we don't take care of this planet, we are screwed. And I don't want to be a bloody doomsday advocate. You know, it's the truth. And so we just got to do those few little things just to get things moving again. And if you want to write a kid's book, I mean, take Sue's advice there, get it out of the head, onto paper and into action, which is something I say all the bloody time so i really hope you've loved that i hope you go follow her uh dr sue pillens p-i-l-l-a-n-s.com and uh, also on linkedin and on facebook she's dr susie starfish and she's got a youtube channel and anyway i'm going to put all this in the show notes so you can just click on it but i really hope you go and follow her because she is just a bloody dream so Anyway, she takes things a little more gently than me. I'm like a bloody an ox with a sledgehammer bashing people on the head, and we do need a lot more gentle people than me going around the around the planet. So, I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and that's it for me. Before I get down a rabbit hole, and I'll see you next week. See ya! Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.